Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back. This is In Liberty and Health. I've been looking forward to making this show happen now for two years. <laughs> and unfortunately, it's not quite under the, I don't want to say the best circumstances, but it's always good circumstances with these guys. So um, today we're going to be talking about Ukraine, uh, some of the libertarian takes on Israel-Palestine and some of the other goofiness going on out, out there in the world. Um so make sure you guys hit the like, subscribe, share all that good stuff. Um, hit all the links below where you can find my guests, myself, um, some of the best supplements that I'm currently using. Tiger Fitness, I just placed an order today because I'm all out of my uh, my daily multivitamin and outright bars. And I think a pump pre-workout, some electrolytes as well. And I got this awesome Tiger Fitness hoodie. Uh, DrinkElementT.com slash health for the world's best electrolytes. And uh, Fox & Sons Coffee for my favorite coffee. Uh, use code Kyle at checkout for a little bit of a discount. Let Steven know I sent you. Um, like I said, I've been looking forward to making this show happen again. I originally met all of these guys about two years ago, almost to the date, where um, if it were the 24th, it would be two years. So in two days, it would be two years since I had these guys on last. So if you want to watch that show, that's episode 60. I was just listening to it actually before we hopped on here, where we actually talked mostly about China and stuff like that. We'll probably touch on a little bit of that today. But um, there are plenty more pressing matters. And of course, with all my guests, it's just an absolutely fantastic conversation that we're going to have today, I'm sure. So uh, yeah, let's uh, rock and roll. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I'm the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty, physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? I am. <laughs> All right. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Hold on. Hold on. There we go. <laughs> good afternoon, guys. Uh, Pat, Connor, and Kyle, welcome back to the show. Um 
Pat inspired me to drink. Normally, I'd be drinking all my other show, but tonight uh, I got ten cup whiskey. Uh, what's everybody else got? I know Kyle's got water, but uh, <laughs> how's everybody doing? And what's uh, what's going down? Hey. Oh, doing well, man. I got extra coffee tonight. No alcohol. Oh my god, it's I'm, so late. I'm we should have planned ahead. <laughs> proper twelve. Mm-hmm. Proper twelve. All oh, that proper twelve is good stuff. Yeah, it is good. And Point Amber too. Stevens oh man, Point, double fist and yeah, I know. Kyle, what are you drinking? Uh, I got ten cup. No, I, uh, the other Kyle. <laughs> uh, I got some Kirkland Costco brand water, <laughs> and uh, I think I got some Grease Monkey in here. So that's mm-hmm. that'll be oh. enjoyable. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, um, like I said in the intro, it's been about two years since we all got together. I've had uh all you guys on individually and then sometimes together with other people throughout the uh, last two years. But um, I figured this would be kind of neat to lay this out and kind of go over the last two years, specifically since we last talked. And it was kind of funny because the last time we did this, it was, I want to say, 10 days after the war in Ukraine broke out. And I had that planned way in advance and nobody knew that, you know, that was kind of got kind of all go down there. So. Um, well, you might me, have. We we did, certainly didn't. <laughs> no, no, no. I was way too dumb at the time. I've learned so much from you guys in these two years that um, now I'm, I'm much more privy to what's going on in the foreign policy world. Mainly that is thanks to you guys and uh, Scott and obviously Dave DeCamp. So um, maybe we could start with um, Connor and let's kind of cover what's happened since February 14th, 2022. And then obviously Kyle and uh, Pat, you guys can kind of tag on what you guys feel necessary. Well, I'll just hit some of the things that are most important to me. Uh, the general consensus is there's been, and I don't know how accurate many of these estimates can be, but sure. there's been approximately half a million, ca- more than half a million casualties on both sides. Uh, well, both sides put together. Uh, I assume that that's largely uh, Ukrainian military uh, conscripts who have been killed or maimed so horrifically that they will never live normal lives again. And um, we have crossed so many red lines that to use the phrase now seems almost, um, you know, old fashioned because uh, and this is one of the things I was worried about as we got further into this uh, war. Um, Certainly, there was an opportunity for an early resolution and a peace deal was on the table. I mean, some of the worst people in the world, whether you're talking about the Turkish government or the Israeli government in the case of Prime Minister former Prime Minister Naftali Bennett attempted to mediate separate uh, peace deals between the Russians and the Ukrainians, and they should have succeeded. But in both cases, you had the Americans and the British, namely the Biden administration and uh, Prime Minister uh, Boris Johnson intervening to prevent there from being a peace and going instead for a long war, a proxy war, as Lloyd Austin, the um, <clears throat> defense secretary from Raytheon, has explicitly stated to weaken Russia. And uh, and then this was confirmed subsequently in separate reporting um, in The Washington Post, uh, where U.S. officials were saying that there are members of the NATO establishment who would prefer to see Ukrainians continue fighting and dying rather than for there to be any kind of a a peace settlement uh, before the the war ends too soon at too high a cost uh, for Europe. Not really there's never been any genuine concern for the well-being of uh, the Ukrainian people, um, at least not those who are living in the vicinity of where the fighting is taking place or any of these conscripts, these poor men who are being uh, enslaved to fight and die in the meat grinder. Um, And since then, 
Ukraine has gotten unprecedented support uh, from the Biden administration, from the NATO alliance, um, and the economic war against Russia has failed. It's helped to uh, diminish any remaining vestiges of credibility that the United States has on the world stage. Uh, Russia ultimately, after taking a major hit in the beginning of the war from the sanctions, bounced back and found all kinds of trading partners who were willing to bypass American sanctions. Um, and they found you know, new markets for their oil. And they've instead, it's been the complete boomerang effect where you have, um, you know, most of the rest of the world, certainly the global south does not side with Ukraine and not with uh, the American led uh, NATO faction in this war. Uh, they see the Americans and the British as being just the worst kinds of hypocrites here. And um, we see instead country after country lining up to join BRICS and to join the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Um, you know, NATO has expanded uh, into Finland and Sweden. Uh, well, not Sweden yet, but certainly Finland, which shares an 800 mile border with um, Russia. And uh, there hasn't been much learned in the American foreign policy establishment. We we carried out some of the largest NATO exercises in the Cold War era this year, and it's going to probably just get worse because that's what the what all of Biden's policy has been essentially to run the largest exercises and war drills you can as close to your enemy as possible and do them as often as possible. Um, and so that will continue. Uh, Ukraine is covered in a uh, large swaths of Ukraine are covered in cluster bombs. It's the most uh, cluster bomblets, I should say, which will be killing women and children and innocent people uh, for decades into the future. Uh, it's the most heavily mined country on the planet. Um, and we have, you know, we've had at various points in the war, neo-Nazi militias breaking ac across the border into, for instance, the Belgorod region on the border with Ukraine, uh, attacking and killing civilians uh, with American supplied weaponry. And we've also been underwriting um, major drone attacks in deep inside Russia, including on military bases where nuclear capable bombers are uh, stored. Um, and we've uh, helped provide intelligence to carry out things like drone attacks uh, on the Kremlin. Um, I mean, it's just been shocking. Assassinations that have been uh, carried out by uh, intelligence agencies that were built up by the CIA in the wake of the American uh, overthrow of the Ukrainian government in 2014. And um, so all of these things have been happening and we have not there we, you know, there were so many different things, levels of support that were ultimately carried out with uh, Ukraine that were thought unfathomable previously because this may or may not cross a red line with Russia where they might right. directly intervene in the war. But we've gotten to the point now where we're about to, uh, Kyle just wrote a piece about this for the Institute, where we're going to be uh, likely providing Ukraine with the army tactical missile systems, which the worst hawks in our government have been calling for this whole time. But those have a range of nearly 200 miles. We have been sending them, I guess, medium range, uh, 155 millimeter artillery shells with the cluster bomb variant, which we know from the discord leaks, for instance, that Zelensky and the Ukraine, you know, the worst hawks in his government um, are absolutely dead set on using those kinds of weapons to attack deep inside Russia. And that's really all they can do now is just kill mm -hmm. civilians in the Donbass and, um, and, and in these Russian held areas like Zaporizhia and Kherson, but particularly the Donbass and beyond 
uh, the border inside Russia because the counteroffensive, all that did was probably kill tens of thousands more Ukrainians and all these American Western and, and we other Western military leaders knew for sure that that counteroffensive was not going to work, that the Ukrainians were woefully unprepared. But they sent them in there anyway because it has nothing to do about has nothing to do with reclaiming territory, just bleeding Russia. Hopefully, we can kill more Russians. Hopefully, we can get Russia to spend more money to bleed more men. Um, you know, that's the best we can hope for here. But in the meantime, we're still at the brink of nuclear war with Russia, even as uh, obviously um, the genocide in Gaza is um, has taken up more of the news cycle. So Ukraine, I think to the benefit, at least politically, for the just the massive failure of, of what's happening in Ukraine. Actually, I guess there really is no upside for the Biden administration here anyway, but certainly the people responsible for what's been happening in Ukraine are probably glad to get it out of the news. But frankly, it still has us really on the brink of complete annihilation still. Yeah, it's a little bit nerve wracking to think about. So, Kyle, when it comes to like some of the stuff like the uh, Nord Stream pipeline, and uh, I, I remember hearing a lot about oh, I, the, the name of this particular city um, escapes me, but I remember they were calling it the meat grinder early on because the average life expectancy was four hours. Uh, what? Bakhmut. Bakhmut, that was it. Bakhmut. And then uh, Connor mentioned the uh, the offensive that I remember it was supposed to be like the spring offensive and they kept pushing it back. It was a summer offensive. And then like that just seemed to kind of peter out. Was there anything that Connor kind of missed there that you want to elaborate on? Uh, not too much, really. I, I mean, I think Connor gave a pretty good summary. Of course, I mean, it's a two year long war and there's a lot of things that have been going on. I guess, you know, just a, a couple things that I could think of just today that came out in the Washington Post. They talked with some top American defense officials who said they felt that this war was benefiting the Americans because they were able to war game and plan for Russian strategies. They've realized that the way the U.S. has really been focusing its aerial munitions over the past really two two decades has been on these precision guided munitions using smaller warheads, smaller munitions to hit sled targets. And this is largely because we've been waging wars in the Middle East where we're fighting insurgencies. And so, you know, not only do we maybe, you know, at times want to kill only one person in one complex or something like that, but the U.S. military has even tried to design weapons where they could kill, say, one passenger in a car or something absurd like that. Not that's that accurate or works that well, but they, they do, you know, believe in and try to design these kind of technologies. Well, it's apparently fairly easy for Russia to disable these kind of arms. And so now they really have to reorient and redirect the way uh, they've, you know, conceptualized our precision guided munitions over the year, how that's going, how they're going to deliver to their target and things like that, because the current system uh, is not going to work. And so uh, also the, you know, utility of small drones on the battlefield has been a really big development. They talk about now how essentially uh, on the front lines, people are using racing drones, like com not commercial, but professional racing drones, strapping munitions onto them, flying them around and then detonating them. And um, just all kinds of electronic warfare going on. You know, they could track the Wi-Fi signals that are they're using to fly these drones back to the handlers. And that's how they're taking them out. And I, I mean, you know, it, there's, a lot of light stories to be written about this war. There's the stories of what life has been like in Ukraine as Zelensky has nationalized 
the media, outlawed his opposition, outlawed religions that he felt were not subservient enough to the Kiev narrative, right? Rounded up any dissenters to this war. Just today in the Associated Press, there's some poor Ukrainian who's living in Kiev, hiding out in his apartment, saying that he feels like everybody just wants to feed him into this meat grinder. And certainly the American Congress does, and the White House does, because, you know, they need to keep this meat grinder churning for another seven months or until, you know, the November election, at least. And that's, a, I think, going to be a big date in this war. So th this is, I mean, really nasty. Again, there there's so many different stories to be written. One of the very interesting ones will be how combat evolved during this war, the different kinds of unmanned technologies and maybe even autonomous technologies that are being deployed, certainly in Israel, too, you know, with them using the gospel, the AI generating target uh, facil facilitating machine and things like that. But particularly in Ukraine, uh, I, I think we're seeing a lot more than we usually do just because, you know, Ukraine is essentially a NATO army and then you have the Russian army they're fighting against. And so there's a lot of money, a lot of advanced technologies being poured into this war. I'm also going to be very interested in after this war uh, when they provide more details on how Ukraine has been able to successfully intercept so many Russian missiles. Uh, I, I very much suspect that they've gotten very good at guessing what targets that Russia is shooting at. And rather than actually trying to maybe shoot down the Russian, Russian missile, uh, put like a basically a roadblock in between the potential target and the missile. And that's how they're downing them. Uh, some interesting things like that going on in this war. Uh, but, you know, really the the horrors is uh, the the what's happening on the front lines. As Connor mentioned, uh, the Ukrainian interior minister, I believe, estimated 500,000 Ukrainian casualties, so that's dead and injured, but that's a huge number. Uh, they're struggling to field an army at this point. They say they can't conduct any offensive operations. It's only defensive operations, and even then they're struggling to hold territory. Gotcha. Yeah, um, well, to throw it over to Pat here, um, it's kind of been interesting to see over the last two years as well um, kind of how the anti-war fervor has seemed to kind of disappear amongst the populist right, specifically since October 7th. But even like after a while, like Matt Gates is putting forth a lot of uh, bills and speaking out very, very courageously against the Ukraine aid. But it really seems like a lot of these efforts when it comes to stopping the Ukraine aid have largely kind of simmered away and like i don't want to say that's without merit because i mean if you just sit there and constantly you're great i don't want to say grandstanding either but like if you're standing against this aid and then generally every single time it gets passed anyways like what are you supposed to do are you supposed to continue fighting i think so but like i can't really blame people for saying like well fuck it i'm just not gonna try anymore because there's nothing left to do so um, maybe get into a little bit more of a 10,000 foot view and people in our camp and the way that maybe we should look at things. Uh, Pat, what are some of your takeaways? And if you have anything else to add that uh, Connor or Kyle didn't get um, into, feel free to add that. First, to jump off of what you were just saying about, you know, our friends on the populist right kind of, um, you know, being against Ukraine aid, uh, but then October 7th happens and, you know, they kind of disappear a little bit. But I think that the, the opposition to Ukraine aid was, primarily mostly about pivoting to China and, mm -hmm. and building up against China, knowing that we can't take on China and Russia and Iran and North Korea at the same time. But furthermore, you know, if you go back to the Sino-Soviet split, 
it makes at least a little bit more sense as opposed to doing everything everywhere all at once when mm -hmm. at least you could think that it's more of a coherent strategy to try to drive a wedge between Russia and, and China instead of spending the last four plus years bringing them together with our aggressive policy in the Indo-Pacific. Um, but, but moreover, I think in, in terms of Ukraine, one thing I wanted to highlight is just the the wrong the the incorrect predictions maybe or things happening in ways that we didn't necessarily expect them to or or surprisingly and i think a good parallel for people in our camp is you know i've been hearing for decades peter schiff talk about how the us economy is going to collapse and go into hyperinflation right mm -hmm. well the fed's ability to keep the entire thing afloat has exceeded our expectations that we can keep the circus running right. for so long well, similarly, there's so many narratives uh, with Ukraine over the past two years that have kind of been a little similar to that. So, um, one, firstly, um, we've always maybe this is a critique of the anti-war community. And it's if anything, I don't think we're being too alarmist or anything, but talking about the United States being involved in increasing their involvement in this conflict so much that they exceeded our expectations of being able to get involved without starting a war or becoming directly involved in the war itself. So we've, we've been talking about the danger of escalation for two years, and it's actually fascinating and like I think kind of surprising that we've been able to be involved at this level without directly becoming a combatant um, with actual you know U.S. soldiers pulling the trigger, killing Russians. Furthermore, on more of like the anti, I don't know how you would classify these, but we've heard certain people uh, like particularly Scott Ritter and Colonel Douglas McGregor, although I respect them both, um, predicting the Ukrainian collapse for a really long time right. and saying it's next week. It's going to happen in a month, you know, but it's been two years. Furthermore, the United States miscalculating itself. And with its sanctions campaign that we're going to see more announced tomorrow by President Biden because of Navalny's alleged um, assassination by by Putin and the KGB. Um, but the ability of Russia to survive and thrive under sanction further, you know, driving Russia into China's hands. But furthermore, this goes with Israel as well, is um, basically advancing the fall of the U.S. and Western hegemony over the entire world. Now you have like institutions like the ICJ and um, the UN, people in the global south, countries in the global south kind of sticking it to, to us, uh, but forming these alternative financial systems that have been able to thrive without, you know, outside of US sanction. Um, and also there's, I just have to touch on Schrodinger, I call it Schrodinger's Russia, you know, <laughs> Putin simultaneously about to roll through Europe, but also not being able to completely digest Ukraine right now. And there's probably several reasons for that, but uh, those are just my takes. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. Um, I, and I, I like a lot of that. Um, Conrail 2020, uh, the opposition to the Ukraine aid is more partisan politics than it is America first. And you know what? I completely agree with this. Um, and, and I'm kind of curious you guys take a minute. We could do a real quick one on this. Um, everybody's been saying that like, oh, this war would have never happened under Trump. And I've like, just, th this drives me nuts when people say that, because like, if you objectively look at Trump's Russia policy, everything was in line for this pretty much to happen. I mean, he was more hawkish on Russia than Obama was. Um, he got impeached over trying to withhold the Javelin anti-tank missiles to Ukraine, but then ultimately caved on that and sent them in anyways, and then got impeached for it anyways. 
So like just this idea that this would never happen under Trump, I think this just shows like where a lot of people's biases are and how they can't just look at the objective facts on the ground and say like, hey, this was completely outside. I shouldn't say completely, but like largely outside of the U.S. And like this was going to happen regardless. And Trump's, you know, be Trump being caught up in Russiagate and the way that he was kind of contributed to this whole situation, not to mention, you know, tying up or uh, tearing up the INF treaties and the open skies treaties and stuff like that. So uh, real quick, uh, Connor, what are your thoughts on kind of like this idea? And especially like what, since we're going into the 2024 election, uh, people think that Trump's going to walk in there. And you've heard Tim Poole say this. Um, Trump's going to walk in and the, the war in Ukraine is going to end that day <laughs> what's your take what do you think um <clears throat> i'm uh less than optimistic uh <laughs> even with such a luminary as tim pool making uh such a, a bold prediction oh. um i will say this um you know there's a there's probably a whole article that should be written uh making the case that actually the war you know this kind of claim that well he didn't start any new wars which is kind of crazy, right? Because you're talking about he fought the war in Yemen, which was a real deal genocide for four years and mm -hmm. set records for the number of bombs he dropped in Somalia, in Afghanistan, mm -hmm. in Yemen, um, nearly started a war with Iran, attempted to overthrow yeah. the government of Venezuela, drastically ramped up the Asia pivot, especially in 2020 under the cover of the COVID crisis when nobody was paying attention. Um, and as you point out, uh, you know, helped follow up, uh, on John Bolton's mission during the George W. Bush years of, uh, you know, knocking out every last pillar of the, um, you know, the non, basically our, the most critical aspects of any sort of modern sense of arms control we have on the global scene, especially between the United States and Russia. Uh, and of course this follows, um, Barack Obama's, um, launching of a, multi-trillion dollar project to revamp the whole nuclear triad uh nuclear weapons triad which is you know i mean that's another thing just like with trump that gets forgotten is that obama started the asia pivot the largest military buildup since the second world war shifting two-thirds of all american air and naval forces to the asia pacific encircling china with hundreds of bases as well mm -hmm. to fight them in a direct war he also did like i said this project multi uh multiple trillions of dollars i believe it's one and a half or two trillion maybe more it'll be much more than that at the end of the day over 30 years to revamp the whole nuclear triad and then as you say uh trump was more hawkish on russia than obama was um and i'll just say that you know he was sending the javelin anti-tank missiles i believe since 2017 um you know at least two years before ukraine gate and uh so and again, Obama wouldn't do that. But, Obama, you know, Trump's also the same guy who was uh, if, if Biden had done this, they'd be celebrating and jumping up and down. He bombed something in the neighborhood of hundreds of Wagner mercenary uh, forces in mm. Syria and Derazor province, along with some Syrian Arab army personnel uh, for getting too close to our illegally occupied uh, oil fields in Syria, where we stole a third of their country um, and uh you know, are stealing all their wheat resources and most of their oil resources as part of an economic war against a country where 90% of the people live below the poverty line. Uh, so I re and then also the war in Gaza 
is largely a result of the Abraham Accords and the overall Middle East but war I, that's yeah, coming. Yeah, I heard that uh, the Abraham Accords, that Trump established peace in the Middle East. That's what everybody yeah. keeps telling me. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> that's what happens when you sell a bunch of weapons and uh, formalize or you recognize the annexation of uh, the Golan Heights and move the embassy to Jerusalem and support, um, you know, the mass murder of women and children and teenagers every week in the Great Market of return protests see it's when you have a concentration camp full of surplus humanity and they're protesting being under a full airland and sea blockade what the you most, do is the, you send, what is it the most uh the most pampered people in, on the face of the planet sure you send snipers <laughs> out there to shoot children and paraplegics and journalists and medics and then you send nikki haley to the un with her little <laughs> binder to say that israel is defending itself and right. um, so that policy and also, you know, ripping up the Iran deal, which was preventing this possibility of there being a war with Iran, it was meant that they had the most comprehensive nuclear inspections regime ever implemented by the U.N., which we knew since at least 1970. It's been uh more than 50 years now of Iran being a signatory of the nonproliferation treaty that they were never seeking nuclear weapons. That was always a lie. And, uh, but of course, Trump, um, working on behalf of Sheldon Adelson, the Zionist oligarch, um, casino magnet and Benjamin Netanyahu <laughs> gave, gave them Israel, everything that they wanted. And what that entailed in the Abraham Accords was basically building up a anti-Iran coalition, sort of a NATO style coalition. This was continued by the Biden administration right up until the war started. Um, they were even trying to bring Saudi Arabia in on this. And so, uh, you know, the idea was to throw the Palestinians under the bus, uh, formalize uh, or, or, excuse me, normalize apartheid. That's what they were doing. They were normalizing the complete dispossession and slow, mo slow motion genocide, whatever you want to call it, of the Palestinians, and then sell a bunch of weapons to make money for the American military industrial complex. <clears throat> And there were other favors that the Americans did that disgraced us, like recognizing the, uh, you know, uh, Morocco's sovereignty over Western Sahara, which where they have another brutal military occupation. Um, and uh, so we disgrace ourselves, sell a bunch of weapons and um, basically build up this sort of coalition against Iran. It was supposed to go very well. And of course, the axis of resistance threw a huge monkey wrench into that. Um, and October 7th was a prison break that launched this whole new phase of the war to push the Americans and probably the Israelis as well out of the region, uh, ultimately. And I don't know if that's going to succeed, but um, it is this Trump policy, which Biden was glad to carry over. He just wasn't as successful mm -hmm. at it. Right. Um, they were more hawkish. The Biden administration was more hawkish on Iran than the Trump administration was. If yes. you go by the number of assassinations that Israel was carrying out that were underwritten mm -hmm. and supported by the U.S., the number of sanctions, because, uh, you know, the Biden administration did not lift a single sanction. They just kept expanding sanctions this entire time. Um, and, uh, the, you know, the Israelis have been carrying out, uh, drone attacks inside Iran. Uh, the U S has been bombing, you know, Iranian allies in Syria as well. Uh, and, you know, we even had Mark Milley going into say to the, uh, to the house of representatives, I forget what the committee was. He was probably the house foreign relations committee, but saying that, uh, you know, we're going to begin harshly targeting the IRGC because we know they're the ones respond. They're the head of the octopus. You know, he sounded like Netanyahu or Natali mm -hmm. Bennett or something. And, um, 
you know, this is the kind of you probably wouldn't have even I mean, Pompeo and Bolton were trying to suck Trump into a war with Iran, but he didn't fall mm. for it. And it's very obvious. And Trita Parsi has made this point virtually the entire Biden administration that Biden has been more hawkish on Iran and more deferential to Israel. And this is he kept saying this is very alarming. Something bad's really going to happen here because Biden is way more deferential to Netanyahu and these these Israeli hawks, whether it was Bennett or uh Yair Lapid, um, because what they were saying, and Jake Sullivan was too, whether it's just rhetoric, it doesn't matter. What And Tom Nides, the former ambassador to Israel, they were saying, we give you a green light. If you attack Iran, we have your back. And that is explicitly something that even Trump and Obama and George W. Bush would not do. And it was coming at the same time that you know, Bennett was going to Biden in August of 2021 and saying, here's my plan. We're going to kill Iran by death by a thousand cuts, economic, diplomatic, covert operations. Um, and we need you to stay in Iraq and Syria indefinitely. And then he was boasting on his way back that I'm, you know, very pleased with the results of the meeting uh, because the Biden administration, you know, Tony Blinken is an ardent Zionist. Um, you know, basically he's a liberal kind of flaccid version of Mike Pompeo. And, uh, and so it's just, I mean, it's almost like this is the worst possible administration for this situation to happen, <clears throat> you know, cause, uh, I talked to Kyle about this earlier today and there is kind of a counterfactual of how would the Trump administration have handled this differently? And it's possible that it could have been worse or it's possible that it could have been actually not nearly as bad. Um, but the Biden, you, you have to keep in mind, I mean, Joe Biden is the, they call him Israel's man in Washington. That's what he's been known as behind the scenes for decades. He's right. received more money from the Israel lobby than any other American senator in our history. And right. um, he is so, I mean, he is genocide Joe. And that yes. is how the world sees him. That's how most of the country sees him now. And uh, it's just the most absolutely disgusting thing. But I really am not – I mean I do believe that Trump's policies led to these particular wars, whether you're talking about Ukraine or you're talking about um, you know, what's happening right now uh, with the Houthis and also Hezbollah and also um, the situation in Gaza. I mean if Trump is such a tough guy, he could, have, he could have leveraged aid to Israel and refused to move the embassy and refused to recognize their illegal annexation of the Golan Heights and, and, and you know, as they were expanding settlements and murdering children in Gaza, he could have – excuse me, settlements in West Bank and murdering children during the Great March of Return protests. He could have used all that to actually sue for peace in the Middle East. But he didn't. Instead, he just worked on behalf, as he always did, for the military industrial complex and for the Israel, um, the hard right Israeli lobby factions that he represents and that Nikki Haley represents. Um, so, no, I don't give him any credit and I don't think he would solve the war in Ukraine. It probably wouldn't be as bad as Biden, because, quite frankly, the. Um, you know, I do think there is something to be said for having a president who isn't um, completely brain dead. And uh, <laughs> yeah. seriously, like there, there might be. You're right. And also, you're right. Trump's not, I think he has more of an ego than Biden in the sense that I don't think, you know, George W. Bush wanted to be a great president. I'm not even sure Biden ever did. I think Biden just wanted to be president. And, and it's almost as if his, any faculties he had He's left on shut down as soon as yeah. he became president. Yeah. Right. And Blinken and Sullivan are actual serial killer murderers. 
They really yeah. are. And that's right. what Jake Sullivan always has been. That's what Tony Blinken always has been. Those guys have, especially, um, you know, Blinken goes back. He was one of the ringleaders working for Biden when he was the Senate whip on the uh, Foreign Relations Committee. Um, they, he's bylined the Iraq war, the war in Syria, where we took Al-Qaeda's side, the war in Yemen, where we took Al-Qaeda's side, the war in Libya, where we took Al-Qaeda's side, um, the war in Ukraine. Uh, th this is all Tony Blinken. And so, um, and Jake Sullivan is, is, is just as much of a, a, you know, sick son of a bitch too. Uh, you know, being <clears throat> Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden's right-hand men, uh, right-hand man at various times. Um, although I actually Blinken is more Biden's right-hand man, but you, Sullivan is obviously running the show to a large extent here. And we right. have Victoria Nuland, mm -hmm. the administration. I mean, it's just an absolute nightmare. I mean, it's hard to believe that this could be worse than Elliot Abrams and Mike Pompeo and lol you know, and Nikki Haley and all these people. So, you know, it's very uh, disgraceful. I don't, I would not, I would be very shocked if Trump came into office, if he won, if he even is allowed to take office, which I think is very unlikely. But if he came back and he didn't just fill his cabinet with real deal neocons again, I bet you he would. Because I bet, I, I bet he has no idea what the, what is, what really happened under his watch. And I don't think he has any qualms about what Israel is doing in Gaza or the threat uh, the wider war poses to the United States. Cause I don't think that's, I think that I don't think he can even really conceptualize what a true America first foreign policy looks like. Right. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. Um, so Kyle, I want to throw it over to you when it comes to Navalny. Um, I'm going to be honest. I really haven't kept up with like the whole Navalny deal. Um, I hardly even knew who he was until this whole deal broke out. And then also I kind of want your thoughts on the, tucker and putin interview because like it, it was really really interesting i'm sure all you guys watched so you guys can add in your commentary as you feel necessary um it was really interesting to hear putin kind of not only call tucker pretty much a cia asset but also the fact that he kept saying that like well america made the mistake of you know arming ukraine and america made the mistake of doing this it almost seems like putin just kind of looks at this as like oh well shit happens so you know we just have to let like the u.s dominate the world and we're just kind of like helpless bystanders and we're going to see what happens um what's your thoughts on some of that and then if there was anything that, that uh connor you felt missed in my initial questions um if you want to add anything to that go ahead oh you're muted so I don't think Connor actually missed anything, okay. but I do want to just say, he normally doesn't, <laughs> but I do want to just say that in everything he said, let's just pretend that Trump had a German shepherd running around the white house, fighting people <laughs> just that, right? Imagine the number of protests. The number of stories about how you Trump wouldn't hear shit about pit bulls anymore. <laughs> Nazi dog running around the White House attacking people. And how, you know, I'm sure every single one of the people attacked that was either a woman or a minority, that would be, you know, I'm intentionally paid. Trump had this dog sit on this black. There's good dogs on both sides. They're great in kennels. They're great in the White House. No matter what you do, they're great. But listen, some are bad, some are good. They're not sending their best. And then there would have been a field day when he ditched the dog. Right. right. Well, and you could imagine Joe Biden, right, being like, for God's sakes, this man cannot remain in the White House. He has a yeah. Nazi dog running around biting people. Will you shut up, man, <laughs> about the damn dog? 
And so, and, and, and while, you know, everything Connor pointed out is like, you know, extremely smart and in a lot of ways, personnel made policy. Trump was also very reactionary. And mm. I think, yes, maybe even still when they go out in the street, the liberals are the most powerful political block in the United States as mm. far as making demands and getting their way. And so when Trump is in office and people are reacting to him, you know, it, 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 it's, it seems unlikely, given our current scenario, that we would have walked down a road that Zelensky would have been dismissed as one of the dictators in love with Trump. But the narrative does fit, right? Or mm -hmm. even, you know, you asked about Letsy Navalny, right? This is somebody who is a fairly unpopular political figure in Russia. His base is like slightly upper class people in Moscow. And so the West liked him for that reason, because the people he got out in the streets are the kind of people and in the places where the U S wants to show people out in the streets. And so he had that like maybe unique little advantage, but largely he only had 2% popularity in Russia. And you know, he had used every disparaging word you could think of uh, for gay people and certainly was not a fan of Russia's minority Muslim population and had called them cockroaches and has suggested shooting them uh, and killing them in mass with, you know, just going out in the streets and doing that. So, uh, you know, in that way, this is somebody else who you can see the liberal media linking to Trump, right? Like if Trump embraces Navalny and is like, oh, we have to sanction Russia over this guy. Imagine the liberal media going, oh, Trump loves another Nazi, right? Like you, you could see these <laughs> kinds of things happening. And especially with Netanyahu in Israel, like this is the one where I do think there would probably be some meaningful difference. I think the liberals would have hemmed Trump in on Israel. Now, I think Trump would have greenlit and willfully given Israel every single bomb to probably destroy the northern half of the Gaza Strip and gleefully danced on the graves of Palestinians with Netanyahu. However, I think that at some point, the liberals would have cornered Trump into saying a red line for Israel and Trump would have forced Israel to follow through with it. I feel similarly about... Um, the uh the situation in ukraine with Zelensky, where the liberals would have probably pressured trump into making some demands of Zelensky. maybe gonzalo alira is still alive because they pressure you know Zelensky to release this american journalist who's held in jail and so uh you know it, it's so hard to think of the counterfactuals and what the world would be like if joe biden wasn't president for the past i still can't get over it uh, mm -hmm. uh, like first of all Congratulations to him. Who really thought he was going to make it three years? I mean, no, like, not given, I. <laughs> given how that man looked in 2019, the fact that he's held it like, and I know he's had some rough press conferences where he doesn't know what year it is and things like, like, it's decades off, like actual signs of dementia. At the same time, you know, he's an old man who tries to hustle up the stairs and, and stuff like that. So, and they're, falls. They're, he sometimes falls. He, he tries. He, I, I mean, I do too, if we're being honest. So, uh, you know, like he's doing all right, uh, as far as like 
you know, going out there and putting on a face for what you expected, I think, at this point. But uh, it, it is hard to imagine what the world would be like if Trump were president. Now, with the Navalny, I think I covered most of my thoughts on, on that already, you know, just kind of with his legacy and who he was. I have no idea. Everybody says he's for sure an agent of MI6. Uh, Aaron Monte made a pretty good point uh, in his coverage of this, that there is a pretty big discrepancy between Navalny, who is a legitimate Russian nationalist who supported the original annexation of the Crimean Peninsula, supported the war and the uh, independence of South Ossetia and the intervention in Georgia and stuff like that. And some of the people on his team, including his wife and a lot of his supporters and backers who have advocated for him while he was in this Russia military debacle and stuff like that. And they do seem to be linked to Western intelligence. Now, that certainly means that he has some connections. I'm just not sure how firm they are and how much he was acting on behest of Western intelligence and not just doing what he wants to wanted to do and was going to do anyways. Um, then, you know, people are speculating as to who killed him. And they say, oh, there's an election coming up. So Putin clearly won't have won him killed. I think that maybe misunderstands Russian politics. I mean, it might not be a bad look in Russia to, you know, be, show yourself like I am not to, you know, don't mess with me. Do not, you know, I am not going to allow somebody to run around the country and try to undermine me. You will be dealt with. This is a time of war. And uh, I, I mean, you know, as much as we might go, ooh, who will believe like that? Remember when Ted Cruz was running for president in 2016, this is 15 years after 9-11, he's gleefully smiling on the debate stage while he's suggesting turning Syria into glass of all countries that had nothing to ever do with attacking America, right? And, and so, you know, it, it's hard to see it from the outside, but from the inside, having a strong man leader is something that's appealing to a lot of people. And so I'm not quite so sure that Putin had no cause to do this. Also, this is a guy who has been boosting anti-Russian causes running around, and there are tens if not hundreds of thousands of Russians who have either been killed or maimed in the war in Ukraine. And so it's not impossible that one of them had maybe a brother in this prison who just decided that enough of this guy, like I'm already doing a life sentence for murder and rape or something like that. I'm just going to go off and, and knife this guy that I hate, who I feel like helped to undermine the Russian narrative and got my brother or something killed in the war, right? Like all these things are our possibilities as to what happened to Navalny. I, I don't know. Uh, I One more interesting thing. His wife seems a very suspicious character. She was already in the U.S., uh, which seems, you know, odd that she's not at least somewhere in Europe trying to like right. do some memorial for him meeting with Biden and stuff like that. His mom apparently came out and said that, you know, she feels that in part his wife got him killed. I'm not so sure she was making the accusation that the wife was literally behind it, like hired an assassin. But she thinks she had something to do with it. Or or just her actions, right? Like her per constant provocations and how she was choosing to act through Navalny's name led Putin to kill Navalny. If you know what I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly how she meant it. So uh, that that's kind of, I think, my thoughts on that. There's a pretty good article on it at, uh, by Tom Knapp, and then another one uh, by Ted Snyder at the Libertarian. Inst uh, no, at Antiwar.com. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that's um, 
Jeez. So yeah, like I said, I haven't quite kept up with the Navalny situation, but um, a lot of people seem to kind of pin it on him being like a Western blog, or not a Western, I'm, you, no, I'm sorry, that's right, <laughs> a, a Western creation, if you will, um, as our uh, friend Monica Perez might say, like a created person. So um, Pat, I want to throw it over to you when it comes to a lot of the stuff that's gone on with Ukraine, and then we can also kind of tie in like Palestine. Um, when it comes to Joe Biden, it's very, very interesting because like you hear a lot of right wingers saying that like Joe Biden is leaving Israel behind. And like you could see Charlie Kirk, for instance, saying that um, uh, Joe Biden was giving money to Gaza and he didn't mention Israel in the tweet. He mentioned Gaza, which like is a very, very small, you know, section of like the funding. Like I, I, I don't think it's very much money at all when it comes to like the money that Joe Biden is sending over to Gaza. And granted, He's still sending something, but I mean, like all, you know, the Hawks in his cabinet, Anthony Blinken, I mean, he's a fervent, very, very fervent Zionist. And Joe Biden himself is a very, very big Zionist as well. So I want to play this clip and then Pat, I'll throw it over to you for uh, commentary. And this is always just, this video always cracked me up. So I'm sure you guys have heard this before, but I, I just, it, it makes me laugh every single time. Right, Jew, I would be a Zionist. And my father pointed out to me, I did not need to be a Jew to be a Zionist, for I am. Israel is essential to the security of Jews worldwide. I mean, just talk about like Biden epitomized the the whole like cadence and the way that he I did not need to be a Jew to be a Zionist. Um, but like I, I did a podcast on this yesterday about being useful idiots. And it really seems that like when it comes to the Israel Palestine issue, that a lot of people are being useful idiots because like they're saying, oh, John Fetterman, he's so based now that he's supporting Israel and that Joe Biden isn't doing enough for Israel. Like when it comes to like the war issues in Joe Biden and Trump, even for that matter, it really seems like both sides kind of tie themselves in knots to be retards to promote the military, the military industrial complex. So I know threw a lot at you there, Pat, but um, any comments on kind of anything that we've kind of elaborated on the last few minutes? Well, I just think that there's, you know, John Mearsheimer, Professor John Mearsheimer went on with the judge, Judge uh, Napolitano. I don't know if it was this week or last week, and he, a lot of discussion in that episode, that interview, um, centered around Mearsheimer's insistence or his conclusion that the Biden administration is trying desperately to rein Israel in. And I respectfully disagree with that because I think that there is an underlying, underlying truth to it. I think that the Biden administration has realized that they can't be seen as providing full-throated support. So they're trying to broadcast the appearance that they're trying to rein Israel in. But in reality, if you look at their actual actions carrying through with this, they are not powerless to stop Israel, but yet they, they keep providing aid and running they cover. They choose for not them. to. They choose not to. So mm -hmm. I, would, I would actually throw this to Kyle and Connor if, if they agree with what I just said, you know, in terms of there's an appearance with, with the ICJ ruling and it's a provisional, like a preliminary ruling, but more action taking place, more litigation taking place, the United States being implicated in these proceedings that the U.S. seems like it has to at least put the face on that it's trying to put the brakes um, on Israel and take you know, measures to stop them, but ones that they know aren't going to be fruitful. 
real quick before uh you two guys comment on it make sure you have like a good mental note of this pat you being the lawyer guy and you being way more familiar with like lawyeries and all that um what is your thoughts on the whole uh icj ruling that israel is committing genocide because like i i know when i read scientific studies like the shit is very very i don't say jargonistic but i mean it is dense it is very very hard to read and i've read court rulings in fact you were probably one of the key people and getting me to like start reading some of this stuff so that way i'm solid when i talk about this kind of stuff but like what are your thoughts on that ruling and kind of how it played out and then obviously connor and kyle you guys kind of weave in your commentary after uh pat's done with his i mean i was surprised that the court found uh provisional measures and and actually went through with it and found in favor of south africa and i guess the reason i was surprised is because we don't know what kind of political pressure is on the court uh, behind the scenes with the United States and the West being some of the major players involved with because the ICJ is a UN court. So you have to know that the, the major players in the UN is the United States and it's, you know, it's other Western aligned countries. So I was surprised with the ruling. Um, but when it comes to the actual evidence presented in the arguments being made, I wasn't that surprised. Uh, one thing about the the international court i think and this is getting pretty technical so you'll have to forgive me and the audience will but the you have essentially a marriage of the two western legal systems within this icj you have the the common law system which is british and american which is adversarial where two sides face off each other and we think that that will produce the truth and i think this too because i practice the common law but we think that an adversarial process is better at producing the truth than a more collaborative one in a civil law system, which is practiced in pretty much every single uh, continental European nation. So excluding any British system, so like France, Italy, Germany, the Netherlands, they all practice a civil law system. So to me, it was a bit confusing trying to figure out exactly what like, the burden of proof is what who has to prove what and how much they have to prove it was confusing to me in reviewing this and i think that as the court has gone along the icj they've been trying to develop exactly what the burden of proof is and to me it seemed like before this at least the burden of proof was a sliding burden of proof so the judges like decided while they were hearing the evidence how much proof they would need which mm -hmm. as a litigating attorney just drives me absolutely batshit insane. Like, how do you how do you involve yourself and litigate a case if you don't even know what the burden of proof is? And so right. it was unclear. Like, the first thing the court should have mentioned in ruling its decision should have been what the burden of proof is and how who had to sure. prove it. So, I, and I hope this isn't too much of an aside, but it was it was just yeah, you're good. infuriating because in the past they've been like. You know, in other disputes, not including genocide that the court has heard, they were they were talking about, um, OK, well, the more serious the allegations are, the more proof that we need. So the higher the burden of proof would be, the more serious the allegation is. But not, I think that's a reasonable expectation. I think it is. But I, you should go into it securely knowing what the burden of proof is. But it right. wasn't it wasn't just the height of the burden of proof, how much you had to prove, but it was the volume of evidence too that mattered. Uh, and I think okay, that yeah. when, when this was litigated, 
I was worried about the volume of proof that was required. And I think overwhelmingly, you know, you have, it, it's the intent to commit genocide as well that that sure. is crucial to proving the case. And they had so many statements from officials. Yes. And Israel tried to Correct. characterize those as not constituting an official policy, which was the smart defense to present. But is, I think yeah. it was just so overwhelming and important that the South African jurists, the lawyers for South Africa, not only demonstrated that Israeli officials were saying this, but they also demonstrated that Israeli soldiers on the ground were instituting that policy that was being said by the officials. And that was goddamn important. And I okay, think that's so, probably what won. Yeah, that, so an element. Okay, yeah. So I, I guess to uh throw this out there because I wanted to talk about this a little bit too. And then I'm sorry I keep uh bumping off Connor and Kyle here, but uh this was a uh a video that had been going, I don't want to say viral, but I mean 3.5 million views, it's a lot of views. So I'll read along with this and you guys can give your thoughts. So now listen up, Mr. Fick, call Mr. Kassif, and your I'm personally proud of the wounds of Gaza and that every baby, even 80 years from now, will tell their grandchildren of what the Jews did when their families were murdered and raped and their civilians were kidnapped. You and your friends can dream that we will allow you to build a government because if you think that the price of the rape of women beheading and kidnapping not a dove, not an olive branch, only a sword to cut off Simor's head. That's what he will receive from us. So I'm sorry if uh, anybody didn't kind of follow that. It was a lot. But I mean, right there alone, that's a pretty devastating statement. So Connor, Kyle, I know you guys got a lot to uh, kind of unpack there. Uh, Pat, if you can remember your question, I'm pretty sure it was something about on the way that the Biden administration and a lot of liberals are kind of interpreting the genocide in Gaza going on um, in the way that a lot of people were kind of being useful idiots for this whole situation. Um, anything to add there, Connor? And then, Kyle, you can take it away after Connor. Yeah, uh, I believe the official position from the White House uh, with the genocide accusation and the preliminary ruling is not uh I mean, really. Well, that's 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 the same answer I get. What I call Ron DeSantis and Neocon is basically people say, "Nah, and then it's yeah. like, "Okay, well, what's your proof?" Nah, he's not a neocon. What do you mean he's a neocon? He voted like, against Syria for genocide, and then we just watched a Hitler speech. Like seriously, close your eyes and play that again, and tell me who the hell is actually saying all of that, and then read the subtitles. Uh, no, uh, <clears throat> one of the most interesting th aspects of this is the fact that the American people have uh, 
seen what Israel actually is and what the United States' relationship with it is as well. Um, the the mask has been completely taken off. Um, if you know, shortly after the um, the attack, uh, Scott wrote a, uh, Horton wrote a great article for the Institute and Antiwar.com about how basically Hamas is jerking your chain. Israel and they're forcing everybody in the region to take a stand here based on what you do next. And so in in many ways it's it's analogous to Osama bin Laden baiting the United States into invading Afghanistan and then the its larger war on terror uh to bleed itself to bankruptcy and ultimately force it to withdraw. Um and this is obviously uh helping although they're not ideologically um you know, Hamas is no ally of Al Qaeda. Those are bitter enemies. But, um, you know, the the fact is, is that people have had to watch with their own eyes um, the absolute mass murder of tens of thousands of innocent people, uh, at least 30,000 officially. Uh, it's about 29,000, almost 30,000 right now. Um and two thirds of those casualties are women and children. You know, I've never seen in my life, no matter how many of these wars we fought and how many people the American government has re been responsible for killing women and children too, just not different, any different here. Uh, just the scale and the, and in the, how the short time span, the volume of mass murder has been, uh, astounding, but, and the depravity. Uh, but um, I've never seen a, a spokesman for the government like John Kirby come out and say, as he did, I believe, four weeks into the war, that, uh, you know what? Thousands of innocent people are going to die. And that was after they were doing the the game where they were denying the numbers uh, coming out of the Gaza health ministry and saying, well, it's run by Hamas and you can't believe anything Hamas says, which is hilarious because Iraq. Uh, Israel literally helped lie us into the war in Iraq. There is no reason for the American people to believe a damn thing the Israeli government well, ever and, and says. Quick, they all lie on that all point, the time yeah. about Iran point. and nuclear weapons. Yeah. They they lie about absolutely everything. They, they, their whole even this whole October 7th thing, we have a huge investigation by William Van Wagen and out at the Institute right now, the brilliant researcher and writer. And uh, of course, Brad Pierce has been on this and the guys at the Gray yes. Zone, Max Blumenthal, et cetera, Phenomenal. debunking so much of the propaganda. And Haaretz has been debunking so much of their propaganda about, you know, um, we were joking the other day in our group chat about, you know, Shmuley saying in his debate with Norman Finkelstein, well, they were cutting off women's breasts and throwing them around like footballs. And, you know, you can just... If you're a Zionist and you speak on behalf of the goddamn apartheid state of Israel, you can say whatever you want and never be held accountable because of the amount of power that the Israeli lobby holds over our Congress and our executive branch and our media. And so it's so um, agonizing, I think, for the American people to have to see that your money is going towards bombing schools, hospitals, universities, mosques, churches, mm -hmm. sh uh, humanitarian shelters, uh, homes. Um, you, we're killing, we're bombing ambulances, we're bombing orchards, fields, maternity greenhouses, wards. maternity wards, mm -hmm. uh, and not just, and, and hitting them with tear gas canisters in the West Bank and put laying siege to hospitals, not just in Gaza, but also in the West Bank. And so, and, and you have a constant social media feed, especially in the first several months, the first few months of the war of just children and women and, and young men dying and di and being killed all day. You could go through and watch hundreds of people die. And I don't think that the American people have ever had to uh, witness something like this so clearly. And so 
it is, you know, very encouraging that people have said, well, this is genocide. I mean, um, you know, Kyle's written a lot about this at the Institute, about these polls that are coming out that show that, you know, um, I believe it's an over a major, it's over 50 percent of Biden voters from 2020 believe. Right. Yeah. OK, they believe that he's committing genocide. Um, young people feel this way. Uh, and you have even, uh, you know, African-Americans and uh, Hispanics who are, you know, shifting their votes in large numbers um, based on polling anyway, uh, looking ahead to the next election from Biden to Trump um, because they're just so absolutely disgusted with what's been going on. And um, quite, um, I think the level of lying, the the. The, the the sadistic um the callous nature of our goddamn congress you know the latest one is uh this republican uh, representative from tennessee who's coming out and going oh i say kill them all you think that's bad right. what israel's doing i say kill them all how about that lady and um we have brian mast you know advertising his dual loyalty uh where he comes out in his idf uniform and tells the code pink girls that yeah. um you know we're starving half of half a million people to death well, so, so like to put a real quick together. what drives me nuts about this is that there was a chinese a supposed chinese citizen that got elected in california and people are losing their goddamn minds over this and like, okay, yes, it's weird, but like, can we talk about dual citizenship when it comes to like the Israel stuff and people who serve in our government that can choose whether or not to get that money gets sent over to Israel? And then I, I want to touch on like the Hamas number stuff. What is the first thing that you hear any of these motherfuckers who are pro-Israel say? Oh, those are Hamas numbers. Okay, but Israel and the United States believes these numbers. So do you agree with them or do you agree with Hamas? Because they they're all in agreement here. You're the only one that's denying it just to push your cause a little bit further. This shit, trust me, absolutely batshit fucking nuts because like oh we morally support israel and we morally support the west okay you support them killing thirty thousand people well those are hamas numbers they uh, they cite those numbers they're saying these are the amount of people that we've killed so okay well are you only pro-west insofar as it makes you look good if you are just say hey i think the west is great and i'm going to lie to make myself look good okay at least i know you're full of shit just admit that and we can get on with the conversation then but if you're just trying to fucking play both sides and be dishonest about it okay i don't want to talk to you there's no conversation to be had because you're a dishonest piece of shit i cannot no, stand yeah. when people do shit like that well and the other notable thing too is i think that that even that aspect of the propaganda that this is a is west is like uh israel represents western values in the middle east they don't represent western what values anywhere in what way? yeah unless you're talking about our rich history of committing genocide and and colonialism i mean colonialism and imperialism i mean that's not anything to celebrate what we believe in the united states or we at least we claim to uh is we believe in property rights the right to you know your labor your liberty and the fruits of your labor um and, Connor, and and your right to the pursuit of happiness that is not what israel believes in they believe in dispossession killing children um they believe in apartheid they believe in ethno-supremacism you said yeah. colonialism so you're a leftist now yeah well, yeah, yeah. Well, you gotta I mean, remember course, that it's, i've yeah. been hiding scott horton yeah. scott our, our friend scott horton is a closeted maoist which is literally something that somebody said i like i'm like what are you even talking about i don't know scott i'm the guy who said that tiananmen square was exaggerated so <laughs> uh kyle go ahead oh, uh, you, uh, sorry no i was yeah, just gonna you, say that the, the great thing about that is to pat's point 
we always talk about Tank Man, but there's a very famous incident during the Second Intifada where a young boy, uh, there's a great picture of a young boy in Gaza who's, I believe, nine years old. And I, I, I forgive me, I'm blanking on the name, but uh, he throws a rock at an Israeli tank. And no one ever talks about this, but that little boy then about a week or two weeks later was murdered by the IDF. And again, Rachel no, I, Corey was run good. over by an Israeli bulldozer, yeah. an American citizen. And again, nobody, mm. you know, nobody cares when Israel kills American citizens. And they've done it mm. since October 7th. They killed an American teenager in the West Bank. And two years ago, uh, they murdered in May Shireen Abu Akleh, the world-renowned journalist yep. from Al Jazeera, an American Christian citizen, Christian woman, a journalist. They blew her face off for covering With, a raid yeah, what, on the and not to mention, yeah. She had a vest on that said press and, and a they, helmet and a press helmet. Yes. And they shot her. Um, Kyle, I know yeah, I saw you laughing a little bit when Connor was kind of going off. So feel free to add your commentary as necessary. I, 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 I and I, I hate to kind of rant a little bit more before I throw it over to you, but like, I just can't stand this idea. Oh, you guys have a leftist bias because you're looking at Israel through the leftist lens. Okay. Well, first of all, they're right. You guys can knock the communists and the, you know, like I had Nick from the Revolutionary Blackout Network on a couple weeks ago. He's right about foreign policy. There's nothing that he's wrong on when it comes to foreign policy. And if people have a problem with that, go fuck yourself. Caitlin Johnstone, she is right about everything when it comes to foreign policy. You guys can knock her and say that, oh, oh she's a communist and she's wrong about this. She's wrong. Yes, I agree. She's a retard on economics. When it comes to foreign policy, she hits the nail on the head every single time. Well, she's just anti-capitalist. I don't care. She's right on foreign policy. Why are you guys sitting here trying to make her into Murray Rothbard? She's not. She's right on foreign policy. We can praise her for that. The same way you guys can't wait to give fucking Trump a blowjob because he fucking jacked off the corporate press. And you're right to do so. Just be objective about the way that you're assessing people and realize that's the way that it is. I'm sorry, Kyle. I mean, go I've, ahead. Uh, take I've, it away. No, yeah. I'm going to steal it. Sorry, Kyle. <laughs> you're good. You're the, good. Go ahead. I have only ever defended the Palestinians on libertarian property rights grounds. I'll sure. just say that. I mean, that they are the rightful title owners to that land. That is what I go off of. Anyways, Kyle. Yeah. I, well, I mean, I guess I would say I also anchor pretty much all my op opposition in the fact that we give aid to Israel, right? Like if, right. if this was happening Correct. between two African countries or two Southeast Asian countries and the U S had played no significant role in it either way, it may be something that I talk about on the show, but it's certainly not going to headline every single show every day for months on end. Like this one has, and it has because you know, America enables this. And when you go to the Middle East and when you listen to what not just Palestinians, but Iraqis, Syrians, Lebanese, Yemenis, Somalis, all these people say about the situation, they say the U.S. and Israel are committing a genocide in Gaza, right? Just like they said that the U.S. and Saudi Arabia were committing a genocide in Yemen for seven years when they were waging that war. The, you know, it, it's the same thing. And so, you know, you got to understand that even if you don't see it that way, the people who it's being inflicted on see it that way. And when you look at the facts, it's largely true. You know, Donald Trump 
he made the statement that he could end the war in Ukraine in one day. And I think that's largely untrue. I think that war will not only take years to really wind down and to set the new boundary lines and things like that, that's going to be very complicated, but actually get the fighting to stop will take weeks, if not months. You know why? This is a very long battle line. There are a lot of factions in Ukraine with a lot of different power, a lot of different corrupt interests. This is not going to be easy to do. On the other hand, the war in Israel could be ended almost at any time by the U.S. Now, I do worry somewhat at this point that the U.S. could pull the plug on the war, but not the genocide in that. You, you know, the U.S. isn't going to start attacking Israel. Nobody's I don't think any countries are going to go to war with Israel, but the U.S. withdraws military aid from Israel and it has to really curtail or stop its military operations in Gaza uh, at the very least in order to prevent a war from breaking out with Hezbollah in the north. Then that, you know, the. Uh, I guess you, Israel will have to stop the war, but that doesn't necessarily mean that aid's going to start coming in and you're going to be able to rebuild Gaza or all these other things that people are talking about. So I do think we could definitely force Netanyahu to stop the war in Israel. I'm just not so sure. It might be too late to stop the genocide at this point. You know what I mean? Like they, Once you get to a certain point, once you destroy a certain amount of infrastructure, then it's just about whether aid comes in or not, right? Like if you destroy all the farms, you don't have to go around shooting everybody. They're just going to die from starvation. You know, th this is how the communists have killed millions of people uh, in the, you know, 21st century is, is through our 20th century is through starvation. And so uh, this is, uh, you know, a major, major way of killing people. And, you know, I really hate the, the association game that libertarians play sometimes. First of all, it's it's just stupid woke bullshit. It really is. It's the same thing <laughs> that, you know, we hate yeah. the leftists for doing right. Like we talk to somebody slightly too far to the right and they say, oh, you're a Nazi. And, you know, we get the same thing for talking to somebody who's slightly too you know far to the left or something like that. Now, you know, uh, first of all, I think that just a healthier society and healthier people are able to talk to and be friends with people who they disagree with on a large number of issues. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that adds like a lot of depth to who you are as a person and how you understand and see the world. Even if I don't agree with like, say, Mads Blumenthal or Aaron Mate on uh, immigration issues or on uh, economic issues, understanding how they look at the economic issues what they see as problems, how they, you know, then reach the solutions they want to reach. Even if I don't agree with those, you know, seeing what they see as problems, you know, maybe from a libertarian perspective, they're identifying problems that exist with the current system that's run yes. by the Fed that we mm -hmm. don't necessarily highlight and talk about enough. Like, th I find that this happens a lot, that I'll be listening to you know caitlin johnstone even and she'll make a point on economics and yeah the solution to what she's going to say is absolutely horrific because you know this means more welfare or something like that but right. you know she will draw attention to a problem with government welfare or economic policy or things like that and so you know and also understanding from you know just different arguments that you can make in different ways to explain things so you know, again, let's say you disagree with what a leftist wants to do ultimately about, 
you know, social security or something like that. Listen to what they have to say about the current problems with social security, because you could probably incorporate some of those arguments into some of our libertarian arguments, not making our arguments any less libertarian, just making what we have to say intellectually stronger because we're deeper people. And it's really unfortunate that there's so many libertarians who are so afraid of leftist and anything they have to say that they can't even, you know, enlighten themselves and learn a little bit and, you know, understand libertarianism even a little bit better through that. Uh, so, you know, that's just a major problem that I think we have right now as a movement. Uh, I certainly don't want our movement to become more leftist or more woke in any way. I, I really like what's going on, you know, with the Mises caucus takeover and what that represented and everything like that. Uh, don't get me right. wrong, but, you know, I think this is even the case with like Dave Smith when he sits down and talks to somebody like Jimmy Dore, like it makes both of them like stronger and deeper people to have that relationship and to be able to have those conversations. And so uh, that kind of stuff is important. Um, I feel like there's a question I forgot to answer. Oh, on the ICJ stuff, uh, you know, I think it's somewhat important, Pat, in that you know, if somebody is going to call me uh, like anti-Semite for saying Israel's committed a genocide in Gaza, then I'm going to say, well, the international court issued that ruling. You know what I mean? And, and so that's a, that's some pretty good cover for normies. You know what? It's a very quick way to disarm a very powerful accusation against you. And so, and again, it doesn't matter as much to myself who's a libertarian, right? Like, I don't care about world government. If the ICJ issued a ruling that I disagreed with, I wouldn't be telling the American government to follow it or anything like that. Uh, but at the same time, particularly for liberals, I think, who are maybe nervous about saying that the U.S. is backing a genocide in Gaza, because what does that mean? Does that make me a Trump supporter or something like that? The ICJ issue the, issuing this ruling makes it kind of undeniable and gives you that argument that this is a matter of fact and not something controversial that I'm going on on right. limb to say. And so I, I think it's probably going to nudge up and start to take up over time the number of Americans who recognize there's a genocide going on in Gaza. Now, one of the sickest things that I have seen, and it's 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 almost cartoonish, right? Where you think to yourself, the liberals aren't going to tell their voters, yeah, Joe Biden is committing a genocide against Muslims in Gaza. And yes, we told you that Donald Trump was going to commit a genocide against Muslims. But hear us out. Donald Trump is Hitler and Joe Biden is maybe a forgetful, but very, very kind old man. So is there really even a choice of who you're going to vote for here? I know you think he's committing a genocide, but come on. And, and that I, he's not I Trump. see the, the pundits on cable TV actually pitching this to the liberals, saying that you have to ignore this genocide. I don't think it's, I really don't think it's going to work. Uh, and particularly not with, you know, Muslim, particularly Arab Muslims. You know, I, I don't think people necessarily understand how important Palestine is to people like Arabs, people in the Middle East, uh, you know, kind of the collective Muslim world. And it, it's kind of symbol as opposition to what the West, to what colonialism has done to the Middle East, that 
maybe you know they, they they did this to Yemen for seven years and largely did get away with it, right? Like you know, it, it inflicted a horrible price on the people of Yemen. They didn't win the war, but as an American, you know, I, if I go out and ask somebody, "What did you lose from the war in Yemen?" They're going to say, "What war in Yemen?" At least you know if you go out and so, ask somebody, "What are the consequences to you from the war in Iraq?" They could be. Oh, you know, I knew a few guys who went over in there. They didn't come back the same. Some of them didn't come back. Maybe some some people might talk about, you know, kind of the collective moral problems that the U.S. faces having killed a million people right. in Iraq. Other people will point to the money. But the war in Yemen, that like that is no American thinks like, oh, I suffered a consequence from right. that conflict. I don't think this that is going to be the way that we look at this war, that what Israel is doing in Gaza in the long term that, you know, this is a war without consequences. And, uh, you know, it's just, I think because of how the Muslim people feel about the Palestinians, like, you know, this is a group of people who are not going to be treated this way. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very concerned about how this is going to develop, not just, you know, months, but years down the line. Well, what do you, this one was, sorry. What do you think about the Biden administration? trying to publicly back away from, you know, from supporting Israel. So I, I heard you mention the Mearsheimer thing. And I, I disagree that, like, again, I, I think I said this before, with Israel, the U.S. could force them to stop the military operations instantly. Maybe not the genocide, but the military operations, certainly. And they're not doing that. And so they're not really serious. Uh, in November, maybe, the Washington Post reported speaking with American officials who said, given how bloody this thing is getting, we got to, uh, you know, we got to give ourselves a little distance between us here and Netanyahu. And, uh, you know, it's just going to be rhetorical. But should this thing get really, really ugly, you know, we want to have at least said that we don't want it to get really ugly. And so to me, this seems to kind of be just a rhetorical thing. And in fact, Pat, I think at times it plays right into Israel's hands. So we've seen this actually time and time again in Gaza, where the U.S. has told Israel where if you want to expand military operations, you need to have a plan for the, the, the you know civilians. And so Israel will come up with this convoluted, completely stupid plan. And there's a middle, it's a communications blackout in Gaza. A million people, now almost 2 million people are displaced. So like, you know, if the plan isn't like go to this well-known location, then people aren't going to be able to follow it, right? And the plan had like, you know, a thousand different little bots in Gaza and like, you know, was instructing people who were in bots 37 to go to bots 134 and stupid shit like that. And people couldn't find the maps. Nobody had access to phone. It was an absolute disaster. Right. But none of that mattered because none of that got reported in the American press. All that got reported in the American press was that the Americans told the Israelis to come up with a plan. The Israelis went ahead and attacked the the Israelis claimed they had a plan. They attacked the city and then they claimed the people that stayed were only there because they were supporters of Hamas. They could have chose to follow the evacuation plan, but they didn't. Why wouldn't they? They knew we were coming after Hamas. Oh, they must have been Hamas, right? Like this is the, the line of logic that they're using. And so 
I don't think it's necessarily coordinated. I don't think Joe Biden is, you know, on his calls with Netanyahu and they're playing this like 10 D chess game where Biden's like, all right, I'm going to chastise you, but this is actually going to help you commit genocide. <laughs> like, I don't think any, any of that's going on. I just think the Israelis kind of understand what the U S game plan is here and they've understand how to adapt and game to it. And so, I mean, it's really unfortunate that the Biden administration won't stand up here. You know, it's it's really been the most frustrating thing to me that we're now in a position where the U.S. is the world empire and the Biden administration has made the world the the world empire as impotent as the president is. Right. Like you, you the, the U.S. can't ask any of our allies to do anything. We never do. And so we don't get any of our demands met to our allies. We can't get American journalists out of Ukrainian jails. We can't get the Ukrainian government to hold elections or do anything reasonable in Ukraine. We can't get Israel to stop a genocide in Gaza, even though we're their largest backers and give them billions of dollars a year. You know, we're asking them to do a whole bunch of things. Allow allow U.S. funded flour into Gaza. That's what we're asking Israel for. And Israel is explicitly not doing it. And the U.S. White House is still talking about giving them another $14 billion in military aid. It's just unbelievably stupid. And then with our adversaries, we refuse any kind of reasonable negotiations. It's all or nothing. You have to 100% capitulate with what we want or we will go to war with you. And when you make uh, unreasonable bets and people call your bluffs, then you're absolutely powerless once again. And so, I mean, it's just been infuriating to watch the Americans do this. I mean, I never really have felt like one of these rah-rah rally-around-the-flag American types, and I kind of resent it a little bit And people who, like, you know, feel as though the country really reflects on who they are as a person. But I'm fucking embarrassed right now to be an American. It's not just because of the genocide in Gaza. It's because of the overall weakness and lameness. You know what? Allowing Gonzo Alira to die, an American to die in a Ukrainian prison, allowing Shireen Abu Akleh to be murdered by an Israeli sniper and just do nothing about this to allow the Israelis not to not, you know, the one thing Biden could have done is he could have gotten on the phone with the Israeli government and you said, you will give this American woman a dignified funeral. You will not, you will not harass the parishioners. You will allow them to assemble. You will allow them to mourn and you will allow them to grieve. And they didn't even do that. They went out and beat the the pallbearers with batons, holding this woman's casket. Right? It's just it's unbelievable what they're you know what the U.S. has allowed Israel and Ukraine particularly to get away with. It's embarrassing. It's it's so embarrassing. It's almost like we're the rich parent with spoiled kids, spoiled fucking asshole kids that we can't control, but we keep paying their bills and sheltering them from everyone who Baby criticizes them. Right, and, you know, and, they're out raping girls, and I gotta hire some lawyer like Pat to go yeah. get them off for the fifth time in a row. Yeah, god damn it. <laughs> and and, yeah, and god damn they, it, keep it in your fucking pants. They <laughs> come home after they win the trial, their rape trial, and we try and sit them down and have a conversation with them. Well, we don't even do that. We say, Hey, maybe we should talk about this. And they say, Fuck you, Dad. I want a new Benz. And so we say, ah, okay, and we open the fucking checkbook. That's what yeah. happened. 
And then and then their boss comes out of these shit ass kids demanding things, you know, and we just yeah, roll over. And then yeah, we too. all get together and call anybody who criticizes us anti-Semites and racists. Yes, yeah. exactly. Well, you know what? I, I really want to bring We're that just up. supporting the Jewish yeah. world leaders with the Nazi stormtrooper military forces committing these proxy wars. You know, I mean, if you have a problem with that, I mean, it, this is really absolutely nuts. I have to say... Um, you know, uh, I think Caitlin Johnstone really hit it on the, the nail on the head. Uh, there's a really great quote from her. I just want to read since you guys brought her up. Go ahead, uh, yeah. she, this was in reference to a report that came out of Haaretz, uh, which is essentially the uh, New York Times of Israel. And it was about snuff films that are being made by the IDF in Gaza. And so she put it like this. So it turns out the IDF has been running a telegram channel featuring homemade snuff films in which Gazans are brutally murdered by Israeli forces. Captioned with celebrations of the gore and pain therein, like, quote, burning their mother. You won't believe the video we got. You can hear her, their bones crunch. The IDF had previously denied any association with the channel, but Haaretz now reports that it was directly run by an IDF psychological warfare unit. This is one of those many, many times where Israel is so awful that at first you're not sure what you're looking at. You think you must be misreading the report. Then you read it again and you go, oh, wow, that's so much worse than I would have guessed. However bad you think Israel is, you can always be sure that information will be will come out later that proves it's even worse. And just on the subject of wokeness, man, I'm very pleased to see that these people have shown themselves because I always... I mean, basically, uh, I thought it was relatively uh, well understood that a lot of these Jewish Zionist an so-called anti-woke people, I'm sure a lot of libertarians and conservatives think are their allies on various issues and and different domestic battles. The, boy, they sure turned into woke, uh, you know, flash mobs uh, and, 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 you know, complete um, enemies of free speech in the United States as soon as October 7th happened. I mean, they they became more woke than the worst blue-haired little shit on a college campus uh, in the Ivy League that you can find. Uh, look at Rabbi Shmuel. Look at Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, calling out, you know, ben anybody Shapiro. that... Yeah, no kidding. I mean, Bill Maher, Barry Weiss, uh, that idiot from... Um, uh, damn it, I'm forgetting her name. Uh... Uh, she has the worst voice in the world. I, I don't even know her name. Anyway, there's a Hillary lot of Clinton. people. Yeah, it, let's go throw her in there too. Uh, they've all turned on anybody who dissents against this or calling them anti-Semites. You know, they're defaming anti-war protesters. I mean, you even have major uh, podcast hosts who are supposed to be relatively apolitical like joe rogan just pretending that you know all of a sudden you have these massive demonstrations on college campuses where they're calling for a genocide of all jews and he's like can you believe that the, oh, the, the president oh, of harvard just pretended like that's not a hate crime that that's not a violation of the code of conduct and I'm sorry, you can't be that fucking retarded. Um, and I and I have to assume that he's not. You know what I mean? Like the idea that anybody thinks that's what's going on when people are saying from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free in the midst of a live stream genocide of the Palestinians is the most absurd, cynical um, propaganda tactic I've ever actually, I think I've seen. And um, 
you know, I mean, the fact that they're attempting to pretend that these anti-war protesters are a bunch of genocidal maniacs. And in fact, you know, you see Rabbi Shmi, the tactic is that they'll say that Hamas is actually the genocidal entity here. They're the ones who went in and started killing women and children, and they're the ones who are out to commit genocide. That's why we're bombing, as he put it, hospitals, private homes, kindergartens, schools, because, you know, that's where they have their weapons stored and their rocket launchers and so forth. Um, and it Human is quite shields. amazing. Yeah, they, they, they literally there's an argument that that's why we're we've killed over 12,000 children. And I've never seen I, I, I really think it's, um, you know, quite uh, fascinating that you can't even imagine a serial killer killing, let's say, 100 kids and pretending that it was self-defense or that they felt threatened or that something bad happened to them in their childhood in the past. And yet they have killed over 12,000 children now and thousands more are missing and presumed dead, buried under rubble. And yet we're constantly told that it's all self-defense. Israel has a right to exist. Israel has a right to defend itself. And right. the unstated premise is that the Palestinians don't. Even yeah, even Michael Malice repeats that line, Israel has the right to defend itself. And like well, Michael Michael Malice oh, said that the Nakba yeah. is a case of fuck around and find out. He's a real bright light in the anarcho-capitalist yeah. movement. But but we're, um, we're supposed to believe that he's some like grandstanding libertarian. Um, I wanted to show these two things. So like when it came to the uh, whole Israel thing, this I don't want to say it went viral, but I definitely uh, got a few people pissed off. So Ron DeSantis said, today I'm directing Florida's colleges and universities to make it easier for Jewish students to transfer to a Florida higher education institution. While leaders of a quote-unquote elite universities are um, enable anti-Semitism, we will protect Jewish students and welcome them to Florida. And I, I was getting pretty stoked. I had 3,000 likes on this. I said, why are you stupid Republicans so woke when it comes to Jewish people? And I <laughs> I think this guy called me an anti-Semite who blocked me here. And I just said, that's a good goy. And I, I completely just ratioed him. And I think this was the video, Pat and Connor, when you guys were on last, I think we watched this one in particular. Um, oh, I, God, think guys, yeah. I think Let's you know where this is going. College kids today really seem to hate Jews. <laughs> like just that, <laughs> that, that line alone. They seem to really hate uh, Jews. Like, dude, get he the fuck opened out of with here. a he opened with a haymaker, man. He's like, this is how I'm gonna. <laughs> I got the best. This is like the the yeah. one liner to open the thing. Hey, but listen, yeah, move over, aside, Joe he, Biden. In high school, so, he walked around with a copy of Human Action. I mean, it was like pretty. Oh badass. yeah, he's one of our guys. That's what he I is, keep he getting is. told. <laughs> he's aware of Rothbard. <laughs> yeah, it, it really does always crack me up, right when. They they act like you just had the most absurd reaction the Israelis do to these things. It's like when people heard the Black Lives Matter stuff and they're like, white genocide. <laughs> you know why? I mean, <laughs> free Palestine. I saw somebody yesterday uh, say that free he's seeing hashtag free Palestine was the equivalent of a digital swastika. Oh, Jesus. People are so out of their fucking minds that. with this shit anymore so i didn't see that meanwhile the idf is attacking hospitals rolling through cemeteries and digging up uh dead bodies of palestinians erasing the fact that they ever existed and lying and saying that there's hamas uh tunnels and weapon systems underneath them and all that is turning out to be a lie they've attacked and lied and said that uh unra 
the uh, UN aid agency that was set up after the Nakba, where they ethnically cleansed 750,000 people, indigenous Palestinian Muslims and Christians off their land and killed anybody who resisted, um, including women and children. Uh, that was set up and now they're cutting it off at the knees using their stronghold over Western governments to re revoke any funding over false accusations that even the most mainstream news outlets you can name are looking at and saying there's no evidence here that oh, anybody in UNRWA was, yeah, was involved. The Wall in this Street attack. Journal just reported that the U.S. intelligence community assessed the UNRWA claims at low confidence. And while low confidence seems like we think it's true that that in 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 CIA speak that means there's no evidence for it. It's just an assertion. <laughs> so yeah. uh, that's a. Uh, that's a lie. I look. I always the death I think, sentence. Uh, the the UNRWA thing. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The the claims the UNRWA is in there, and also the you know Israel has a right to defend itself. And kind of bringing up the kids. I remember you know when I was a, a kid, the you know, there's this great South Park episode, the Indiana Jones one. Uh, but they're the like mob of people. Uh, the you know South Park mob of adults is trying to free this serial killer, Hat McCollum who had killed 36 children and then they go yeah but was in self-defense and, and you know it's just <laughs> the stupidest thing in the world at the time right but that's actually what's going on here so ridiculous yeah and um it, it's just um you know, I mean, they're planning on blow. You know, there's well over a million people. It's 1.5 million people in Rafa that they've pushed up against the border with Egypt, uh, and they're saying at the beginning of Ramadan they're going to start this mass murder spree, this next phase of the genocide. It's a city with a pre-war population of 275,000 people. Now it's filled with one and a half million people living out on the streets in the rain and tents, uh, with you know almost virtually no access to food or water. Uh, or medicine or shelter, just like all everybody else in the designated safe zones uh, where there's no running water, there's no bathrooms. These people are being made to live like animals as long as they can live before they starve to death or are completely erased off the earth with a, an American bomb. And, uh, you know, we're supposed to, uh, I don't know what, put aside our differences on that one issue because uh, the immigration situation is, whoo, we got to make uh we got to do something about that. Biden's going to actually help close oh, the border. Dude. We just need 60 billion for Ukraine. We need another what is it 7 billion, 8 billion for the overall build up in Asia including military aid to Taiwan. Um and then you know, of course 14 billion dollars for uh Israel uh to continue carrying out its genocide. And they're saying it's also for a multi-front war, meaning it's 14 billion, it's more than the usual yearly uh payment of 3.8 billion uh and i and i will just add this we've given israel more aid than any other country uh in the world meaning the u.s has provided more foreign aid to israel than any other country and that is it stands various estimates some estimates put it over 300 billion the um, consensus i've seen is 260 billion dollars so we're talking uh, over a quarter of a trillion dollars for a the most the world's most notorious apartheid state, which helps lie us into war after war. And literally, the policy right now appears to be, even though Iran is showing a great deal of restraint and cooling tensions within using its influence, have. which we pretend we pretend like yeah. they're you know they have all this influence over these militia groups in Iraq and the Syria, the world's which leading sponsor of terror. Yeah, That's and they're. 
And these militias have their own nationalist reasons for attacking illegal American occupation forces in their countries. But Iran has used the influence that it has over them to tell them to stop, which is why we haven't seen attacks uh, against American bases uh, since the the first several days of this month. Uh, So we have seen a cooling of tensions. But as things stand, the Biden administration is willing to fight a simultaneous war with Iran, Syria, Iraq, Yemen. Uh, Hezbollah in southern Lebanon. There's even been talk. I don't think it's that likely, but in um, you know, the Intercept is reported on Air Force uh, documents that show that there's discussions of ground troop deployments, American troop deployments into Gaza and certain contingencies uh, to to I guess assist in the genocide on the ground. Um, and so you know that is what we're that's the dice we're rolling and that war would dwarf the quant, the consequences and the destruction and the death of our post 911 wars which uh you know led to the deaths of four and a half million people and cost 8 trillion dollars and the interest is only ever going to go up on those payments and so you know anybody who supports this is just uh, America last there is absolutely no room for there's no gray area between supporting Israel and um you know having any sort of like um even feigned concern about uh, so-called American interests. Everything that they do is completely detrimental to American society, to our financial stability, to our more our collective morality, to our legal system. I mean, we've emulated them in this era that we all grew up in, where we we torture people to get confessions that we've already decided we want to use to support wars that we've that are, that are preemptive. I mean, that's what Kyle's done a ton of reporting on this, and there's been great pieces coming out from 972 Mag. The level of torture that's going on with prisoners in Gaza, it's it's absolutely uh, disgusting. You're talking about people being burned, having their genitals, uh, t- you know, tortured. I mean, and again, the 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 sim the symbolism of that it, and, and the Israelis have had a shoot to cripple policy for a very long time, targeting women and men men's genitalia and women's genitalia. Uh, this is a, a completely sick and barbaric society, and we really should have absolutely nothing to do with them. And uh, and yet, you know, I mean, it's. I think on the one hand, it is helpful because the American people are finally um, witnessing what not only Israel's capable of, but our government is capable of. Because quite frankly, the war in Yemen was a Vietnam War level atrocity that was completely under the radar for almost our entire society. And it is the exact opposite here with in, in this case, where people who really don't pay attention to foreign policy at all can't get away from the war on Gaza. Um, and uh, so hopefully that's going to have a positive effect. Um, but um, of course, things are only going to get worse. And I'm, I fear that before this is over, you're going to see hundreds of thousands of people uh, dead. Um, isn't isn't the allegation that we're leftists because we only criticize Israel and we don't criticize the other Arab nations that have treated the Palestinians poorly? Uh, that's a typical Zionist attack, really. Yeah, I mean, well, Jack Lloyd the, calling yeah, him a libertarian. The, the, the Jack Lloyd angle is that, well, the Jack Lloyd, Austin Peterson, or Roger Mayhem angle is that we're anti-Western and we're getting our talking points from Marxists because we just view, we, we're taking an anti-West worldview, which to me has just always been silly because Israel's not very like a Western nation when you look at like 
the standards that we would associate with the best of the Western world. Like when you look at the way that their state is organized and the way that they had certain medical mandates and the way they treat other countries around the world. Um, if you want to talk about the last 30 years, then yes, we're definitely closely aligned to, you know, the communist atrocities that people used to talk about. So, I mean, if we're anti-Western, you know what, maybe this is the bigger point that I wanted to get to, and we can kind of round out on this is that like, when I talked to Nick from the Revolutionary Blackout Network, we identified a lot of the same problems. And I think that he, that like the socialists and the communists, when it comes to like the, the dissident leftists, they kind of look at this as a failure of Western capitalism when we recognize this as like a failure of government being involved with like private markets and private companies. Um, the only reason why these wars are able to be carried out is because the government has their hand in so many mil you know, so many arms manufacturers, and then politicians lobby for these arms manufacturers, and then they make money off of that. So, like if you're anti-West because you see the result of what is, you know, an overly bloated government that's going around being an empire, then I can't flaw you for that because you're right. I would be anti-West too if this was the result of Western civilization. But like we're pro-West because we look at like, let's say before 1950 when you had tight family structures and a rapid, a rapidly increasing standard of living for all people and then like prices lowering and your money being worth more. We look at that as like the peak of Western civilization. We don't look at what is today as capitalism, quote unquote, as being like the peak of Western civilization. So like, I think we have the stronger argument than the people who are saying that we're anti-West because we think Israel sucks for committing a literal genocide against Palestinians or that the U.S. is complicit in genocide against the Yemenis or that like turning the entire Middle East into a sheet of glass is morally wrong. Like we're anti-West in that respect, but all the things that make the West great and give us the most prosperous world that the population has ever known we're pro-west about that but we're anti-west when it comes to this bullshit imperialism right and i mean this was always ron paul's point for years and years and years people you know particularly after 9 11 the whole it was the american love it or leave it years which I, is crazy right. it's making its return right i saw uh tim pool of all people Fucking Joe Biden is sitting in the White House, right? Like, he is so worried about government totalitarianism and oppression that he decides now's the time to say that if you don't like America, you should leave. Or, or if you don't like being a, an American, you should leave. He's really become a like 2000 that. boomer. And it's like, you know, who, who, who do you think, Tim, who do you think right now decides who's a good American? The White House does. Do you think they're going to decide you're a good American that, you know, your uh, team there at Tim Cass is good Americans? Come on, man. Like, you got to be able to think more steps past this than that. But so they might, they might go, was, the bald guy's really helping us with our China policy, getting the right wingers yeah. to support it. Yeah. But uh, but Ron Paul was so good at hitting this argument out of the park because he dealt with it for years and years and years after 9-11. And, of course, he would say that, you know, what has destroyed America, what has destroyed the West is this policy of chasing empire around the world, spending our blood and treasure, 
creating instability everywhere, particularly in our own hemisphere, that has driven a lot of migration to America that conservatives uh, detest so much and believe is so much at the core of our problems. A lot of the violence in our society and on our streets does stem from, you know, our glorification of the media and the, uh, not the media, the military and everything, you know, that's kind of happened with that and injecting that into our own society, largely through our police force, but also, you know, by just exposing so many of our own young men and women to violence overseas. You know, this all has repercussions. This all comes home and everybody always knew it would, the, the stripping away of our freedoms. And, uh, you know, the government's control over culture. Yeah. In the 9-11 years, it was the country music culture, right? It was the culture that the Republicans loved uh, that was, you know, built up and propped up by the state. But now it's not. Now it's this, you know, crazy woke shit uh, that we have to deal with. But we should be opposed to all of it. And that's what Ron will always try to tell Republicans. And they just they were never able to understand it. Mm -hmm. Carter, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I'll just point out that, uh, again, is, you know, to your point, to your both of your guys' point about what, you know, the so-called Western values. Well, in the Middle East, we always back the absolute worst, most radical anti, uh, you know, human rights faction, anti-Western values factions you can find. Whether it's in Afghanistan, where we back the Northern Alliance, um, child molester, heroin, kingpin, communist warlords, or back in Iraq where we, you know, overthrew Saddam, a secular dictator, and installed a Shiite theocracy, or where we backed Al-Qaeda, the al-Nusra Front, and the Islamic State in our proxy war against Bashar al-Assad in Damascus, another secular dictator. The same thing we did in Libya, where we backed the Libyan Islamic Fighting Group and Ansar al-Sharia, the Al-Qaeda-tied groups there. Uh, ditto in Yemen, where we back Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula and people roasting, uh, you know, prisoners of war to death over spits. Um, th th this is complete bullshit. And Israel is, um, I mean, look, the this is what it really, shortly after the war in, uh, in Gaza started, there was an incident in the West Bank that I think about a lot where the Israeli settlers went to shoot Palestinian olive farmers and they killed three of them. So the next day, the Palestinians hold a funeral for these men, and the settlers come down there and murder a father and a son at the funeral procession. So, again, I really don't think uh, these American conservatives give a damn about Western values, property rights, uh, you know, any sort of morality, whether it's based in religion or philosophy or, or the Declaration of Independence or anything like that. I don't think they buy into it. The, and the ones who are actual spokesmen for this shit, I think they're disingenuous at best. You know, Keith Knight and I went to a um, CPAC event. Uh, out here in Phoenix, the one that uh, Charlie Kirk holds. And we spoke with a rabbi who was very supportive of the current genocide. And, um, you know, there's just, it's very upsetting, you know, because you can tell we, when we go to Freedom Fest, there's people, they have life in their eyes. They believe in property rights. They want a higher standard of living. They want their kids to live in a prosperous nation. They want, uh, as you said, uh, tighter family structure and for more respect for uh, all of our individual uh, rights and goals. Uh, right. And so that we, you know, try to achieve, as Ron would say, achieve our goals through reason and persuasion rather through, than through force and coercion. And out there, as Kyle's talking about, basically you have 
have Hotel California and then I'm proud to be an American. Where And then there's a big, th it's all Israeli flags, you know, even the group of girls who are against the feminist woke culture for wh whatever reason, they're, they want to take you on a trip to Israel. They take your daughters on a trip to Israel because apparently Israel, supporting Israel is part and parcel with supporting uh, women's rights and, you know, conservative values. And oh, uh, you could as, get into how Israel spreads certain ideologies that aren't quite aligned with Western values and those specific values that a lot of those uh, conservatives would like to push. Yeah. And so there's a huge disconnect. I think that's being, uh, thankfully, um, you know, uh, ra uh, rectified. And so you're going to see uh, a, a greater distance between the Republican rank and file constituencies and the conservative me and the people who've been consuming mainstream conservative media, especially as there's, you know, more exposed to independent media and see what's really going on. I think you're going to see a lot of them become libertarians or, or go further right, uh, where people are uh, more honest with them about uh, whether it's, um, you know, in this case, the power of the Israel lobby or just Jewish influence on uh, culture, the media, politics, and um, th they're going to be very upset because they've been lied to this whole time. I mean, people still, I mean, everybody, you know, to bring up Tim Pool again, I don't mean to pick on him, but the thing with the reaction oh, to do. these kids, yeah, the reaction to the, I do too. The reaction to these kids <laughs> seeing the bin Laden letter to America and finally understanding that, you know what, you unconditional support for Israel's wars and occupations and against the Palestinians and the Lebanese uh, and the Syrians uh, and and our, our American bases peppered throughout the Arabian Peninsula where we were blockading Iraq and bombing it three to four times every week, killing hundreds of thousands of children. And these policies of propping up Middle Eastern dictators who, uh, you know, subject their, their people to totalitarian, um, brutality for decades on end. This actually really upset, um, certain people in the Middle East who then decided to attack the American homeland and maybe got your father, your uncle, or your mother, or your sister, or your brother, uh, or your cousin killed. Um, and, and your whole, or your brother, or your father, or your uncle went off to Iraq based on a load of shit, uh, pushed by the Israeli fifth column in the United States and came back missing their balls or their, or their legs, or they blew their own head off when they got home or they came back with a crippling drug addiction. Uh, and, and you see what this does again to, fa to families. I mean, the, the, the Iraq war and the war in Afghanistan, so, you know, there, I, I'm, there has to be studies done that'll show, uh, especially going forward forward, just the long lasting and reverberating effects of on, on just individual families, um, and crises of despair and deaths of despair. I mean, you're talking about 10, 30,000 or more men who came home and killed themselves far more than died in these actual wars themselves. And so on the American side, of course, and, uh, you know, all of this is, so people see this stuff and they go, I was lied to. I was lied to the whole time that we, we were not attacked for freedom. We were not attacked uh, for, you know, girls in short skirts and, uh, you know, uh, the, the whatever, our Hollywood culture and all this nonsense. No, they, there were very real reasons why we were attacked. And then we were lied to and then we went and killed about four million people. 
And that should really piss everybody off. And you know what Tim Pool did and people like him? They responded the exact same way Fox News told us all, us and our parents, to react after 9-11, which was to put your fingers in the air, stick your head in the sand, and pretend that it's all because they're just crazy goddamn Muslims and they want Sharia law and they want to overthrow our government so they can enslave us and make us live under their uh, Islamo-fascist caliphate, uh, whatever, uh, dictatorship. And um, it's just not true. It's just not true. And in fact, it only hurts us because we're the ones who are now 30 plus trillion dollars uh, in debt. We're the ones who have suffered, uh, who have never recovered from this economic crash in 2008 or this, you know, this um, all the money that was spent during COVID. And so much of that has been funneled into the military industrial complex, of course, because we're now spending something on the level of one point six or one point seven trillion dollars a year on the national security state and the Pentagon. Uh, and we're picking all these fights with Russia, China, North Korea, Iran and all these other countries in the Middle East, of course. And the American people are finally going to get fed up. So I'm actually glad in some way that Charlie Kirk and Ben Shapiro and all these people are being so dishonest because um, it's going to stoke a lot of anger. And I think your people are seeing that even with Tucker Carlson going to Russia and saying, you know, whether or not you think there's a lot of merit to him saying, I mean, uh, frankly, I like the fact that he's showing that, look, their society doesn't have uh, people pissing and shitting and ODing in the streets. And uh, and it's not the subway. You don't have to worry about getting pushed onto the train tracks and killed. And their grocery store, you can get what would cost you, the normal American household $400. You can get the same stuff probably in higher quality even for 100 bucks. And uh, and this is a country that's supposed to be under crippling sanctions and is fighting a war just off its borders. So, uh, you know, I think that makes people on the one hand less likely to support this proxy war against Russia and all this propaganda against other nations that we have in our sights. But it also, uh, you know, increases the anger and resentment against our ruling class who have completely destroyed this country, whether intentionally or unintentionally. They clearly don't care about the American people. And that's the most important thing. And the other, I think, lesson from this Israel, this this whole situation with Israel and Gaza is that the American people's opinion, which is borne out in these polls and has been for months, is not being reflected at all in policy or in sentiment by our elected officials. They don't care. Um, and uh, they care much more about the Israel lobby and the military industrial complex than the American people and what they want. And instead, we're having our entire, you know, names and legacy. I mean, this is the history of the United States being written here. I love when Biden and Chuck Schumer, when they want to pass a hundred billion dollar foreign military aid bill, they go, history is watching us right now. No, history is watching genocide Joe completely ruin the legacy of the United States if there was anything left. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I was going to say the reason why, I mean, that's, Connor, you just obliterated it, I think, from the mainstream argument, but people within our own circles, I think the answer is, is that we're not libertarian universalists. I mean, the the libertarianism in one country, that's an essay that Justin Raimondo wrote. I mean, we are not here to promote liberty and individual rights and property rights in other countries. That's just not what we do. So because the only way to enforce that is either is, is manipulating politics in other countries. And that's not what libertarianism is about. It's about securing property rights and freedom for our own people within our own zone of control. And that's what it's about. And there's still a large 
and there always will be probably a substantial contingent of libertarians supported by the National Endowment for Democracy and uh, Students for Freedom or what is Students for Liberty um, who, who advocate libertarian universalism. That's why I don't talk about Millet or support Millet actively or do much of anything because, I mean, sure, it's something we might cheer cheer on the sidelines, maybe in the most charitable situation. But at the end of the day, whether Argentinians are more free or not, I really seriously couldn't give two fucks. I, I don't because I have no way to support it. Maybe secretly in my heart, I cheer for it. But as a practical matter, what business is it of ours as libertarians to promote, to promote freedom and liberty in Argentina? Right. Um, so real quick, um, we could probably do plugs on this as well. My friend Siege had said, help, I don't watch the news, Israel or Gaza. Um, <laughs> uh, I threw a little comment and said, Israel are the bad guys. Rewatch my episodes with uh, these guys, Dave the Camp, you'll get informed. But um, you know what? I Like I said, I think that's probably a good comment to wrap on it. Kyle, I know you got to go. So um, I, I guess first, uh, Connor, go ahead and give your plugs where everybody can find you. So that way uh, my friend Siege can uh, find his way into our libertarian world since he seems to be coming from a little bit of a uh, outside perspective. Yeah. Cool, yeah. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I'm the assistant editor at the Libertarian Institute, co-host of Conflicts of Interest with Kyle and with uh, Will Porter. Uh, you can find all my stuff in the, the news section and the uh, featured article section at the Libertarian Institute. We have the archive for all of our great episodes. We're at 548 now for conflicts of interest. Uh, most of those, of course, are Kyle. I do. I co-host the show once a week and we cover do about three to four episodes every week covering uh, foreign policy news, news around the empire. Um, and basically we'll keep you updated on all this stuff. Um, you know, just consistently and you'll have a much better grounding if you want to, um, you know, learn more about what the hell we're doing in Ukraine and Gaza and, and provoking Iran and, you know, even the policy against North Korea, which Biden has been, I mean, that's been like, that could actually lead to nuclear war. And it's one of the least mm -hmm. paid attention to people just pretend like, well, it's just on the back burner, but we're constantly like, you know, sending Poking nuclear uh, strategic assets, you know, nu uh, nuclear capable bombers and uh, nuclear armed submarines uh, menacing a country that we've had under sanctions for decades and decades. Um, and so, you know, um, I'm also writing news and, uh, I'll be in the news section this weekend, uh, at antiwar.com. I'm on Twitter at Freeman's mind 96. And I also run the, uh, the conflicts of interest account at con underscore interest on uh, Twitter as well. And our show is on, uh, Kyle can provide all the links, but it's uh, YouTube odyssey and rumble and brace and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Mm. Yeah, of course. So uh, Kyle Anselone, go ahead, uh, give your plugs. I know you've been on Judge Napolitano's a lot. You've been killing it lately. So go ahead, uh, let everybody know where they can find you and if you got any cool appearances coming soon. Yeah, I mean, thanks for mentioning that. It is really cool to be on with the judge. Um, yeah. And I, I, I've i been on a show almost every week uh, for the past couple of months. So uh, if you, yeah, you should watch his show anyway. He has far, far more competent guests on than me uh, that you should be listening to. But uh, if you do see me on the judges show, like drop a positive comment down below when you're, you know, there and things like that. Make sure I keep getting back on. Uh, I am the news editor at the Libertarian Institute and the opinion editor at antiwar.com. And then I co-host conflicts of interest with Connor. Um, and then antiwar.com. 
I uh, do the news on the weekends and fill in for Dave DeCamp when he's out. So I'll be writing for him uh, this Sunday. Dave's going to be in the um, Mississippi, I think, LP convention. Yeah. So if anybody's out that way, definitely go. I mean, Dave's a, a cool guy. I haven't met him in person, but I get to talk to him a lot. And so I, I'm sure, like, you'll just have a good time chatting with Dave, like, at the convention. Uh, but I know he's working on a real good speech. So if you're in that area, check that out. Uh, I was on Scott Horton's show today, the KPFK show. So if you didn't catch it live, he will post it on the Libertarian Institute sometime this weekend. And I was on with Alan Mosley, our real good friend. Uh, his show, It's Too Late. Uh, I had a great time talking with him about Assange this week. Cool, cool. Uh, Pat, you just had our all of our mutual friend, uh, Misty Winston, on. Um, let us know where we can find that show and obviously all your other work and where they can support you. Yeah, so I'm a practicing Wisconsin attorney. I practice criminal defense and family law primarily. Uh, I'm the Justin Raimondo Fellow at the Libertarian Institute where I um, I write some columns. Uh, I have a show called Vital Descent that I host. It's at vitaldescent.com. And uh, as Kyle said, I just talked to Misty Winston there. And uh, I I'm working on part two of Oppenheimer, um, my documentary. I really need to get it out. And I'm sorry it took so long, but... The first year of having a new child is just hell, and that's kind of been where we've been at. And um, I'm hoping to announce two actual, like, in-life speaking events within, like, this spring. So keep tabs. Nice, guys. All right. Well, I appreciate all you guys' time. Um, this is an awesome show, and we'll definitely have to do it again. Hopefully it's not another two years, and uh, hopefully we still have like a planet and everything in two years. So, yeah, yeah if you guys have got anything else, uh, we'll close her out, and we'll definitely do it again soon. Thank you guys so guys. much. Thank you, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.